we're about to take you inside the world of automotive retail. This is AutoLine. It is a disaster in the automotive retail market right now. Sales have dropped to their lowest level in two decades, so who better to have on the show than the world's largest retailer? Mike Jackson is the chief executive officer of AutoNation, a company that sells just about every brand there is in the American market. I love having Mike Jackson on the show. He knows the business inside out and is not afraid of telling it like it is. And remember, he used to run Mercedes-Benz in the United States, so he's one of the few people in this business who has seen both the factory and the retail side of things. Joining me on my journalist panel today are Steve Finley from Ward's Dealer Business and Bill Vlasic from the New York Times. Get ready to learn what's going on in the trenches as the industry struggles with one of the worst markets it's ever confronted. We'll be back with Mike Jackson right after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome back. We're now talking with Mike Jackson, the CEO of AutoNation. Great to have you back on the set of AutoLine. Great to be here, John. Thank you. And also joining us today is Bill Vlasic from the New York Times and Steve Finley from Ward's Auto Dealer. Great having both of you here, too. Thanks, John. Well, you're Mr. Retail in the United States. I think you've got to uh, sell more cars and trucks than anybody else as uh, the head of AutoNation. How bad is it out there? And are we seeing any light at the end of the tunnel, or is it getting worse? Well, it's bad, I'll tell you, John. It's very tough. And there was a seismic shift in the marketplace in the middle of May, which I would say I've been in the business 40 years and hopefully many more years, but when I finally retire, I'll never forget uh, May of 08. Uh, it was a tremendous shock to the consumer to uh, dealing with the housing crisis, the credit crisis, and then all of a sudden the spike in gasoline prices and they simply screamed I've had enough and I'm not taking it anymore and uh, they pulled back on their on their willingness to buy vehicles and uh, a the biggest shift of consumer preference into what they would prefer to buy in the shortest amount of time that I've ever seen with a stampede uh, to fuel efficiency so now here we are in September and I would say it's a bit more rational at the moment and probably the number one issue as far as volume is today uh, the credit constraints. It's not the cost of money. It's not gasoline prices. We have far more demand than we have the ability to provide the financing for the vehicles. Sales are definitely below trend uh, based on a, a credit restraint. And volume for the industry can really not return to better levels until the credit crisis passes. And what's happened over this past weekend, weekends are not much fun anymore since it seems to be when Wall Street gets restructured, um, has probably taken a crisis that was in the sixth or seventh inning, and we're now gonna go extra innings into 09 before this credit crisis passes. Mike, um, General Motors and Ford are taking an awful lot of vehicles out of production. They are scaling back as quickly as they possibly can. It seems like they're in a perpetual restructuring right now, but um, shutting down these plants, taking on the SUV production, 
When is the demand, this, you see the real demand, the structural changes, when is it all going to sort of coincide again between what the automakers have and the products that they're no longer interested in anymore? Oh, that bill is going to take some time. Um, for the, on the manufacturing side, there's tremendous lead times in, in both development and tooling in the factories. And the shift in demand in the middle of May was seismic in proportion. I mean, we had customers who had bought a full-size SUV from us three months ago and were coming in and willing to take, demanding to take, a 50% loss in value to pay a premium to go into a Prius. I mean, it's, it, it was an irrational overreaction uh, stampede to fuel efficiency, and the consumer is still over there. And uh, it's, it's quite an adjustment period for the manufacturers. Now, what I foresee happening is a combination of two things. One, as the economy improves, as credit becomes available again, as consumers adjust to the, pr uh, the price of gasoline, they're going to migrate back from the extreme position of May. As a matter of fact, we already saw that in August, that with price adjustments, we're able to sell SUVs and pickup trucks again. Uh, extreme price adjustments, but at least people will buy them. They wouldn't buy them in May. So the consumer is going to migrate from a, an extreme position, and the industry is adapting as fast as it can. And uh, cutting production of the wrong stuff, phasing in, ramping up what is already in series production of the right stuff, trying to get products in from Europe as quick as it can that are fuel efficiency. But that whole disconnect that you're referring to, to bridge, is probably a year away. Are we going to see swings, these wild swings? You've mentioned a couple of them. Or is there going to be some more rationale? Are we going to go from uh, a move to small cars and then discover, well, people didn't want those smaller cars, and then you're stuck with the same problem you had with the big vehicles? Here's the way consumers work. So the consumer was over here really giving two hoots about fuel efficiency, quite frankly. It was right behind cup holders. Despite all <laughs> the conversation, at $3 a gallon, and the spikes, they viewed it as temporary, and it was not going to change their behavior around what they bought. Now, it takes a lot to move the consumer structurally, but that did happen in May of 08. Now, to move them back, it's going to require a period of extended low gas prices. Because once the consumer makes up its mind that gasoline prices are going to be high, open-ended, it takes quite some time to get them to unthink that. But I'll make, I agree with Steve, it's happened twice before. It happened in the 70s, it happened in the 80s, where you had the consumer move over here, which in many, you can argue, is where they really need to be. And then because uh, gasoline prices came down for an extended period, they migrated back. So what's going to happen this time is dependent on what happens uh, with gasoline prices over the next several years. Now, with all the incentives on, say, an avalanche, you can get... Nine thousand bucks taken off an avalanche doesn't that doesn't even include what the dealer might might do to negotiate. That's a lot of gas. Do you think a lot of people would go for that and say, you know, I'll Are take we, the, I'll take the lousy gas mileage and uh, versus Steve, the other? We we absolutely saw that, and it culminated in in August, where I think trucks again went over fifty percent of sales. In the middle of May, going into June, you could not give away. Uh, a full-size pickup truck or a sport utility vehicle, and we, we had a ton of used vehicles. What did we do? We started adjusting price. At a 25% price cut, people did the math and said, whoa, 
I'm actually coming out ahead, even if gasoline goes to $5 a gallon, by buying the, uh, this truck or sport utility. And by the way, I really like my big truck, and I really like my big sport utility, and we sold out of them. I went to auction to try to buy some more. I couldn't find them. <laughs> And now in August, with uh, 08 incentives, you see the same thing. So price can fix these things. But I, I think the manufacturers have basically made the right decision to slash the production on a forward basis, shift development dollars, uh, move to, to more fuel-efficient vehicles. I think that's where we need to be. And we are going to need gasoline to be reasonably expensive I hate to say that, it's hurtful to say that, to keep the consumer there. So let's say you could sit John McCain and Barack Obama down right now. They're going into the election. What would you, as the largest retailer in the country, tell them you want as uh, the U.S. to have an energy policy so that we eliminate these huge swings of the pendulum? Well, first we have to agree what the energy problem or the energy crisis is and uh, you'll hear politicians say it's it's the price of gasoline is the crisis well i'm not really sure that's it uh is it global warming is it america's dependence upon imported oil if i had to pick the three i would say the urgent issue is america's dependence on imported oil exporting five six seven hundred billion dollars a year of capital out of the u.s into some very unsavory parts of the world is a national security issue and needs to be uh, aggressively addressed. And quite frankly, uh, the Republicans and Mr. McCain have articulated the most compelling uh, policy. Namely, he'll at least use the word conservation, which is code for expensive energy. He'll at least talk about uh, expanded drilling in the U.S. And of course, the biggest opportunity, which they all talk about, is all the amazing new technologies that are, that are very much not over the horizon, but on the horizon. In the next five years, we'll see more of a technical revolution in the automobile industry than we've seen in the last 100 years. Imagine in my career, we're going to be retailing uh, electric cars to consumers which are totally disconnected uh, from petroleum. So the, even though America has not had an energy policy for 30 years, and it's one of the reasons we're in the predicament that we're in, uh, the opportunity is there to get it right. And McCain understands passionately that it's an issue of national security and has articulated to me the most compelling uh, policy to address the issue. Uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you about um, what the consumer sees you know, at, at your showroom level on energy efficiency in the vehicles and the, like their feelings towards hybrids. Hybrids were going to be this, you know, this expensive solution for people who could afford it and want it, but that doesn't appear to be the case. Honda's coming out next year with a less expensive, full, you know, uh, just, just specific hybrid. And that technology seems to be what's going to be on the plate with the electric car over the next five or 10 years. Are consumers, do they, are they gonna be willing to pay the premium for hybrids, and is that going to become just a bigger part of the market? I can make it extremely simple for you uh, as far as where the consumer's mind will be. You tell me the price of gas, and I will tell you what consumers will buy. If gasoline is 2 to $3, they don't give two hoots about fuel efficiency other than talk about it. We couldn't give away hybrids in February of 08. 
consumer, we had 85% consideration on hybrids. I had a 2% closing rate mm -hmm. because they would sit there on the back of the envelope, figure out the price premium, figure out the savings on gasoline. It didn't make sense. So they would walk by it. By May, uh, I'm sold out of hybrids and they're willing to pay over list to jump the line uh, to get a hybrid. That's at $4 a gallon. Now, from a regulatory point of view with the new CAFE law, uh, we, we have to get to 36 miles per gallon. To get the consumer demand to match that regulatory requirement, we actually need $6 a gallon. So you have to tell me the price of gas. At $4 a gallon, the consumer clearly values fuel efficiency, will be willing to make the trade-offs and pay the price premium for the technology. And if it goes higher, they'll be willing to do even more. But if the price of gasoline goes back down, they won't care. So the key is for the hybrid cost, hybrid price to come down. You got to get the hybrid cost down as much as you can, but it's inherently more expensive than a gas tank and internal combustion engine. Uh, the batteries are expensive. You have two powertrains to move the vehicle, the computers to integrate it all uh, is expensive. So no matter what you do on a scale point of view from a manufacturing point of view, it is inherently going to be a price premium over the internal combustion engine, which means the price of gasoline is going to determine whether that price premium is economically justified or not. And the original market for hybrids uh, was not a mass market solution. That was an advocate solution. People bought that vehicle because they cared about the environment, they cared about clean air, and they wanted to make a social statement. I'll give you an example. If you put a vehicle, a hybrid, a vanilla A hybrid next to the Prius, but it simply has a label, and it's bigger, more fuel efficient, it's a better vehicle than the Prius, but it has plain vanilla mainstream uh, styling, the Prius will outsell it 100 to 1. Why? Because it's a social responsibility statement. If you look at the demographics, the people who bought the early Priuses, it's off the charts. They also had the economic means to make the social statement. That's at 2 to $3 a gallon. It's a social responsibility statement. $4 a gallon, $5 a gallon begins to become a mainstream concept. And to your point, Bill, to the greatest extent possible, they can get that price premium down. Uh, that's going to be a plus. You know, speaking of the, the general market again, uh, I was talking to some Chrysler guys and they were saying that, you know, the uncertainty in, in the market is, is tough. And, you know, I started to think about that and human beings are not very good dealing with uncertainty. We're almost better dealing with the certainty of a crisis than the uncertainty that may include a crisis or may not. Uh, and the reaction tends to be, not to do anything or to batten down the hatches. Now, if you layer that on the market, especially the automotive market, what you have is a very scary situation. So how do you deal with customers that take themselves out of the market because they don't know what's going to happen? Is there, is there a game plan that AutoNation itself has? Well, that's the exact situation we had in May. And everybody, it was like an electric shock. And the consumer threw up their hands and said, enough. And they pulled back from the, uh, from the marketplace. Now, for our company, AutoNation, we went into the year with the assumption that it was a high-risk year. And we said, we're going to manage very conservatively. We're going to have a strong balance sheet. We're going to keep our inventories lean. Uh, and we're going to have tremendous operating discipline just in case we hit a bump in the road. Well, we didn't hit a bump in the road. We hit a, a, a tremendous uh, wall. And uh, thank God um, we were prepared and we could manage it. Now, there are retailers, dealers out there who had a different business model going into the year. 
high inventories, high marketing cost, make it on volume, and uh, lean, uh, lean margins. They're dead. <laughs> They're in serious, serious trouble. Because if you get caught with huge inventories, with a consumer shift from here to here, you're going to take the hit. And there's going to be a big shakeout, uh, 08, 09, particularly with the Detroit 3 representation, which has an overcapacity situation anyway, because of that business model, which so many big dealers pursued, that is now obsolete. What's going to be the victim count? How many dealers are going to go down? I think it's going to be in the thousands. I really? think we've moved from a few hundred a year to we're going to hit a big number. This year, you think that will hit I that? think it's going to start in 08, and it's going to go right on uh, into 09. Because what's happened is there was a tremendous loyalty bond, particularly to uh, the Detroit uh, Three, family ties that go back decades upon decades. You mean with dealers with and the With dealers factory. to the factory. And uh, everybody was willing to put up with a lot uh, to get through that. And you could still have a lot of fun selling a little cars and making a lot of money, making a little money. Well, that game is over. You're now, they're writing a check every month into the business. They're not mm -hmm. treading water. They're paying uh, into the business. And they don't, they don't see how it all turns because there's so much overcapacity relative to the volume. Well, the manufacturers always wanted to reduce the dealer ranks. I don't, I don't think they wanted to do it by driving them out of business, though. Uh, yeah, I don't think we wanted to do it this way, but it's here. What, what's the total of dealers now in the country, and what do you think it will go down to? Well, I... About 21.5. 21.5. I was going to say 20,000, mm. and uh, I think you're going to lose a couple thousand over the next two years, whereas we've been losing a couple hundred a year. And yet, you've got a new shareholder, a new stockholder. Bill Gates came in and bought up 5.5% of AutoNation a couple of months ago. I'm told private equity is very interested in the whole retail end of the business. It seems to be an attractive model, at least the way you guys are running it. Well, I'm, I, I take it as a vote of confidence that uh, two of the smartest uh, billionaires to come along, Eddie Lampert and Mr. Gates. Uh, Mr. Lampert increased his position to 44%, and uh, Mr. Gates came in for 5%. So I, I take that as a compliment. But here's what they see. We are solidly in the black. I mean, we're not making as much as we did in 07, but we're still solidly in the black. And if you look at uh, inventories and uh, cost, they're, they're well under control, well disciplined. And so the stock is down due to uh, all the concerns in the, and, and uh, out there in the marketplace. But they all, everybody knows, or they certainly know we're in a cycle. As long as you can manage your way through the cycle profitably, uh, you're going to come out the other side very you heard, nicely. You haven't heard from Mr. Kerkorian yet. No, I haven't <laughs> heard from Kirk yet. <laughs> Mike, how is the, the change in leasing going to shake out over time? It, you know, it seems that Chrysler, by pulling all their leases off the table, kind of laid down the gauntlet that they're not going to go there anymore. Now, it seems automakers sometimes say they're not going to do something again, and then they do it, such as GM and employee pricing. But what's the incentive strategy for um, that you see Detroit and others pursuing as they try and work our way back out of this horrible uh, year, first, as, you, first, I, as I, you put it, a horrible year? I have to tell you, the, the, the crisis or customers coming into our showroom are shocked that they can't lease a car. Absolutely shocked. And while it's a relatively small percentage that are confirmed leaseors, I would say 10 to 15%, you absolutely cannot, positively cannot convert them to a purchase. They are a lease customer, and they are going somewhere else to lease a car. 
and the only place they have to go is basically the Japanese. Now we're facilitating that to the greatest extent we can, but that's a certain percentage of the marketplace that you've walked away from. Second, you know, the American consumer is very smart and shrewd, and resale value is a big issue for them when they purchase a vehicle, because they view the ultimate cost between what they pay, operating costs, what they sell it for. They really do that calculation. So in our Chrysler showrooms, the conversation isn't just about leasing. We have people who are considering purchasing who are saying, listen, manufacturer doesn't know what this is going to be worth in a few years. Therefore, you can't lease it to me. So why should I they buy it? They don't want to take the residual risk. What pumpkin truck did I fall off? <laughs> so it's, to me, it's a, it's a it's a tough uh, situation, and um, I, wish, I wish Chrysler had, had found another way or had handled the situation more skillfully. I think Ford and GM handled it more skillfully. Okay, they had to pull back some, they adjusted residuals, they adjusted rates, but they didn't come out and make an announcement, hey, we're out of leasing. Well, you just said that people would come in and buy vehicles, even with gas prices high, if, if the discounts were big enough. Isn't that what Chrysler is going to have to do, offer even more discounts or some other sort of financing? Yeah, but you have walked away from a certain segment of the market. Uh, that's going to cost you in volume. And you have made the purchase more difficult. You know, at a certain point, John, it passes even the price. You know, at a certain point, a discount becomes so extreme and, the, and I think the domestics fell into this trap in 05, that the size of the discount says there's something wrong. And at a certain point, the consumer says, you know, that's a heck of a discount, but if it's that big, I'm not even sure it's really worth it. And by the way, if you're willing to do that, maybe I can get even more. You know, it becomes like a self-fulfilling downward spiral that you really don't want to get caught up into. It's, it's, it's certainly not an end game where you're ever going to make any money. It's like the internet mentality, everything's free. Yeah. yeah. Profits don't matter at that point, only eyeballs. I'm afraid we're out of time. We're going to have to wrap it up at this point. Mike, thanks so much for coming I'm on the show. It's Bill been great. Bill Steve and Steve, great having you. Stick around. We're going to leave these cameras running, and we're going to go to the website. We'll see more of you there, but I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. I told you you'd like this guy, and like I said earlier, we have a lot more with Mike Jackson from AutoNation at the extra section of our website at AutolineDetroit.tv. You're really going to want to hear what he has to say about what General Motors should be doing with Chevrolet. And then join us again next week for another first for AutoLine. We were invited by Mercedes-Benz to get a behind-the-scenes look at all the effort that goes into doing a global new car launch. Automakers can easily spend over a million dollars to put on one of these events. We'll show you how they spend that kind of money and why they think it's money well spent. We believe this is the first time anyone's been given an insider's look at a global car launch, and it's all part of our goal to give you a front row seat at what's going on in the automotive industry.